You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Welcome back to Fly in the Call. Today I'm speaking with Jake, the bassist from the band Rot. Rutt's music is fast, heavy, and political, so in many ways it's perfect for 2020. The band recently released their debut album as one through War Against Records. We discuss how that relationship started, self-producing the album, the band's message, and use of jarring samples. It's a great chat, so please enjoy. How's it feel to finally have the album out? Oh, that's that feels amazing. We've uh, we've been we had been working on it for a long time, so it feels really nice to have it out and actually see people enjoying it. For sure, yeah. I mean, I know that um, it was you know self produced and engineered and you know mixed and mastered all that good stuff. Um, could you tell me a little bit about that process for you guys? Yeah. So, Harold uh, and I actually used to work together uh in california at a studio so we've both been uh engineering or audio engineering for probably 10 plus years um and uh yeah so we've uh we've always been pretty comfortable with it um but we we pre-proed out pretty much everything and there was um there was far more than 10 songs at the end of the day and we we sat through and we we kind of whittled through all of the pre-pro that we had made um just sat on that for a little bit to really figure out what we thought was the best of the best material. Um, and then we, we picked at the end, we were left with 10, um, 10 was never the goal, but, uh, that's, that's what we were, we were left with. But yeah, other than that, we, um, we actually tracked all of the drums, uh, in our practice and all of everything else was done, uh, here at my house. Nice. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's probably becoming less and less true as, uh, you know, time goes on and technology is getting, you know, better and everything. But I feel like there's still a little bit of a, you know, when you hear like stuff produced, you're like, okay, well, maybe it won't be that good. But I I really enjoy like the sound of the album. I feel like you uh, I kind of really hit nailed down the sound very well. <laughs> no, thank you. Thank you. Um, That's like the best and the worst thing about doing an album yourself is that you'll get met with, you know, well, they did, they did it themselves. So they probably don't care that much about it. Or, you know, like if you're doing everything yourself, you can get caught into kind of a tunnel vision uh, and you can kind of lose track or lose sight of what the end goal really is. And having that, that extra person there, you know, going to like a larger studio or just having an outside engineer that's not in the band working on it uh, can help a lot with that. But I think with, um, how many times Errol and I have both done this for different bands that we've been in. 
Um, I think we knew what our end goal was from the get-go, and I think we knew kind of how we wanted to tackle it. But yeah, it, it working on it ourselves was amazing and frustrating all at the same time. Yeah, I mean, what, what were kind of some of the things that you did to kind of like keep that objectivity and keep yourselves in check? Um, so it, it's easy to get lost in just like writing and writing and writing and writing. Uh, and it got to a point where we had probably like 15 or 16 tracks that we we had to stop and say, okay, we need to actually look at all of these songs and stop writing for a second and maybe go back and polish some things on some other songs. Or um, it, it was pretty, for the longest time we had, we, you know, we were playing shows fairly consistently. So um, just making sure that uh, songs we were playing live were as cohesive as possible. So there was that, there was always that drive of, okay, we want to get this, this record done so that we're able to play these songs live and actually have, you know, have people uh, have that connection. Um, so I think there was a, a lot of, uh, we'll say internal and external uh, driving forces that kept us um, on track. For sure. Yeah. And I, I feel like, you know, being a newer band, it's like kind of that special moment where you are able to like try these songs out live before you, you know, put them to tape. Like a lot of the, you know, bands that are more established will kind of, not want to kind of like ruin that first experience of hearing the song right there there's the idea of it has to be perfect <laughs> yeah so i mean what, what was kind of like the mentality um as far as that went um i think we just wanted to see because you know there's a lot of parts in songs that you really like and then you look at an entire song as a whole and you might be like well just because i like these parts doesn't mean that i necessarily think this song is great but at the same time you'd be doing yourself a disservice not to try it so like there's a there's a few live sets of us playing a, a song that probably will never be recorded. It was just something that we we figured, yeah, this is this is kind of fun to play. We'll see the reaction and we'll see kind of how we feel after playing it. Because you know, you you always have a, a different emotional connection to something like a song after you perform it live, uh, just recording it or um, maybe just running through it in your practice space. So I think we we just kind of looked at all of the songs objectively and just tried to say, okay, this is, this is not the worst song ever, but it's not, it's not our greatest thing. So let's try and let's try and do something even better. For sure. Yeah. And I mean, I've seen you guys talk about before kind of the part of the mentality going into the band was, you know, kind of just play fast, show up and rock out and stuff. And you know, for some of you, it was even supposed to be like a side project originally. Uh, when did it kind of like, when did that f- switch kind of flip and it turn into something more than that? Um, I think switch probably flipped. Hmm, I want to say like mid 2019, we started seeing um, the, uh, a big part of this band was, you know, um, all of our other bands are pretty, uh, let's see, they're, they're pretty set in their genre style. So you pretty much end up playing with the same style of bands all the time. So you'll get looked over for certain shows, even if you think that, you know, the crowd reaction may have been great. Um, So we really wanted to make a band that we could say yes to whatever show and it wouldn't matter. And I think that, I think that helped a lot, but I think, yeah, I think it flipped about the the middle of 2019. That's about when we all kind of saw that there was, um, there was a want for this. People seem to enjoy it. Um, 
at the same time, a lot of our, our other bands were either slowing down or taking a break, playing shows to write more. Um, so it just kind of all worked out really well for focus extra hard on, on rot specific. Yeah. And I mean, you kind of mentioned the, the crowd reaction and stuff. And I'm curious, you know, with, with so many of the lyrics being like darker and more like politically charged, how do you kind of like find the difference uh, or the, the balance between, you know, having fun and, you know, saying something meaningful, both, both for yourselves and like from a fan perspective? Totally. Um, I think a, a lot of it is just like, we use this as an outlet more than anything. It's a way for us to, to get either our frustrations or just how we're feeling. If we know, if we don't have quite the exact words to, you know, say to a friend and, or what, you know, whatever. But I think that uh, it, it really just is an outlet for all of us. And I think that that in itself makes it fun for us, regardless if we're talking about, um, you know, current political climates or so suicide or any, any very extreme topic. I think that it just allows us to have fun because a lot of the times you look around and you just kind of think, wow, this is, this is bad. This is all bad. So, so I think it's that it's almost a, a duality of um, it's meaningful, but that meaning make makes us happy. Yeah. I feel like, like there's, there's such a release of like being at like a hardcore show. Like I can imagine there would be a release both playing it and, you know, being in the audience. Um, what, what, what have rot shows been like in the past? Um, a lot of times, honestly, and I, I'm never going to complain about this. It's a lot of people, um, being really attentive. We have, we have a lot of people that will mosh or, you know, throw hands or, or whatever. But, um, most of the time it's people just very attentively watching. They're, they're not on their phones. Um, you know, and that's another thing is that I don't, I don't expect any reaction from anybody Uh, it's not I don't feel like I deserve a reaction or anything like that so just to to have people standing in the room even they're just standing still with like a cup of water I I'm I'm stoked because they're giving me full attention for you know the the 17 to 20 minutes that I get to do this and that's really all I can ask for but you know we get we get some some rowdy times and some people that just want to go crazy um but yeah, I'd say for the most part, it's just been really attentive. People just watching. Yeah, I can imagine like, I mean, it would be pretty hard to ignore a band as, as heavy as you guys too. <laughs> um, and I, I also wanted to talk about kind of like the use of samples on the record. Because, um, you know, some of them are pretty, you know, pretty much trigger warning material. And um, I know there was kind of some disagreement initially within the band as well about the use of them. Can you talk a little bit about them and kind of like what made them the right fits for the songs? Yeah. So um, all of those samples were picked by Errold and he, um, he goes down tons of like YouTube rabbit holes and for like a, an example would be um, like on spirit, the opening track or uh, the, the opening sample for that track. It's a nine one one call and it's, it's horrible. It's just like, it just sounds evil through and through, but when he presented that, um, some of the guys were like, I don't know about that, man. That's, um, that, that seems like shock for shock's sake. And, uh, he, he actually had to sit down and explain, um, what his vision with the song was and where his lyrics were going to go. Um, and I think after he, it was a lot easier for us to, 
be on board with that rather than it just being a, Hey, here's a, a creepy sound clip for a, a heavy song, you know? Um, and I think that was a big thing for all of the sound clips is we wanted them to actually hold weight and not just be um, shock for shock's sake. Yeah. I feel like, you know, it's kind of cliche to be like, Oh, hardcore band. I couldn't understand what they were saying, but which I don't feel is true of you guys, but I feel like, you know, those clips kind of serve as a way like, okay, that gets my attention. And then it's like, okay, well, why did they use this? Let me listen to the lyrics now. <laughs> right. It, it, it almost forces uh very intensive listening <laughs> for sure yeah and um i mean one of the the kind of like outlier on the album would be empty hope which you know has kind of the more melodic vocals than anything else um how did that one kind of come together and i mean you mentioned like the how you had so many more songs like how did that kind of like end up making it through yeah so that that one made it through um mainly because i think we we had so many fast songs and so many just kind of hundred miles an hour into the wall kind of songs. And I think um, putting a palate cleanser like empty hope on the album was, excuse me, a really wise decision um, mainly because, you know, listening to, to 10 songs at two to three and a half minutes that fast and that uh, aggressive can it, you can, you can burn out pretty easily. I think, it made it through because of the the personal weight that it holds for for Errol and I think just um, the raw emotion that the instruments give in that song. We felt that even though it's uh, slower and more melodic, we felt that it was just as heavy in its own respects as uh, any of the other really like aggressive songs on the album. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and did did any of the songs that didn't end up making it, do any of those have, you know, either kind of a similar vibe or, you know, more so like a standout vibe compared to the other songs? Um, There's a couple of them. Like one of them, they they all have their, and I think this is mainly why they didn't make it because they all kind of have that, this sounds like this band, like kind of feel. So like one, one of them had like a Casey Jones feel and the other one had like a Slayer intro and none of them were really slow per se, like uh, Empty Hope or like as melodic as Empty Hope, but um, they were all kind of, I think they were um, just, just not really rot songs in themselves. They were more of just kind of rot writing a song that sounds kind of like. How do you kind of, how did you go about kind of keeping those influences in check uh, during the writing process? Um, it's, and that's, that's a weird one too. Cause we all, all five of us listen to such eclectic music across the board. And I think that at the end of the day, it, as long as we kept it fast and, you know, uh, relative to punk, hardcore, metalcore in that big umbrella, we felt like we were, were pretty safe. I don't think, that we didn't really have like a formula like it it needs to have you know uh like a tom db part here for like pit crawls and then it needs to like pick back up into circle pit type of thing um i think we were just writing for ourselves and i think that's a a big part of why it came out the way it did and it it has that just the the feeling that it does we were writing for ourselves yeah i really love when stuff like that kind of shines through um, in the band and it, it sounds like you were also kind of 
having sequencing in mind, which, you know, I'm, I'm very much an album person. So I always appreciate that. What well, was kind of like the mindset going into the sequencing of the album? Oh man, I think we, we went through like six different, like actual linear sequencing of the album. And I think, the, I mean, the goal was pretty much always to start out with, uh, overdrive um that that never really moved and daggers was always meant to be the closer i think the first iteration of uh the sequence at daggers was actually seven was uh track seven but that ended up um moving down as we thought it was just a really nice way to end the album with a a strong bow a strong bow tie and just out really quick um but i i think we we sat and we listened and slowly started moving one song at a time until we felt like as you listen to the album, you, your brain just kind of goes, yep, that's the album. You know, there's that, there's kind of that moment where um, one song flows into the next and into the next and into the next and you stop almost paying and get lost in your own record. And that's when we were like, yep, that's the order. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, And I mean, I know I saw that, um, the profits from the vinyl pressing are going to um, the Okra Project and We Love Lake Street. And um, could you just talk a little bit about uh, your connection with those charities? Yeah, so um, those charities were actually picked by uh, we as a whole band. Um, Errol brought, uh, um, basically gives resources and meals um, that are true to region uh, to um, POC uh, transitioning people. Um, so we we felt that right now it's already hard to be transitioning or a POC or both. And we feel like if there's any way that we can help somebody struggling or trying to just find the resources they need a bed, or um, if they need to talk to a therapist, thing like that. Um, the Ochre project is a, a great, great uh, organization. Um, and then we chose, we love Lake street as our other organization because we actually wrote the album about, seven to eight blocks from uh where george murdered by the minneapolis police um so being that close to everything um a lot of those shops that were destroyed um we actually were frequents at you know we would go eat at these shops and go actually spend money there because we lived so close and that was our that was our neighborhood at the time so we love lake street actually goes to putting money back into those business owners to rebuild um, and regain some of those uh, lost that, that lost money for whether it's products or inventory or the actual building itself or um, payroll, whatever, whatever it is. Um, But we felt like since that was so close to home, uh, we wanted to actually let our music do the, the talking for that and actually see if we could help directly with our music. Yeah. And I I feel like that, You know, I think a lot of the songs kind of unintentionally, you know, are very fitting for 2020. Um, And two of the ones that kind of stand out to me as, you know, most uh, fitting. um, And they also feel like kind of like partner tracks in a way are as one and ask, you know, as one kind of hold holding people accountable for their indifference and acceptance of the status quo and ask kind of being like a a call to action um, to work against that. Uh, Can you tell me a little bit about those two tracks? Yeah. um, So as one was, uh, I don't remember if it was, 
it's funny because pressed and as one are tracks three and four and those were the third and fourth tracks we actually wrote um so i'm just trying to remember which one was first but uh either way um as one was we wrote really early on um and we we wanted something that had you know that that really upbeat kind of punky feel to it and uh when we were done writing it instrumentally um Arold started putting lyrics together and i remember one of the the last like he he wrote one of the first lines he wrote was one of the last line um and it's talking about melting or like we all melt we all um rot together in this melting pot and i i felt immediately when he put that down i was like yeah i I know where this is going and i'm very on board for it so he he basically fleshed that idea out and ask actually came a few songs later and i think the the goal with ask was to be just a very straightforward song nothing fancy per se there's no like crazy licks or riffs in it it's a pretty straightforward just kind of knuckle dragger and uh he actually wrote he pitched the uh the lines um speak ask think react um and slowly we started working on well what what do those four words mean to us what do they actually what's the weight that they hold to us and slowly through working through all of those those the stanza in the beginning um i think errol just kind of grabbed onto it and immediately started running with uh the idea that um you know just because just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not happening and it's really important to remember that because you know just because you can't see it it, it, there's things that are happening you know 50 miles from you that just because you can't see doesn't mean they're not happening it doesn't have to be you know, uh, across the world, but that's a, that's a really easy way to get somebody's brain wrapped around that is, you know, look, there's people in other continents that are absolutely suffering um, and being taken advantage of by um, not only our government, but governments as well. So when we put it together, we, we knew that as one was either going to be track three or track four um, and ask, we planned on having as track five to the the closer of side a of the vinyl but yeah they just they just ended up together um and it goes back to that that feeling of you know these these tracks feel right next to each other they feel proper yeah and i'm curious have you noticed people kind of like taking some of the lyrics to heart or like uh connecting to them in ways you didn't expect um, we haven't had anybody specifically reach out to us and be like, Hey, you know, I, I had a, a big, you know, eye opening moment because of this song or this song or, um, what have you, but I wouldn't be surprised if even, you know, that there, there's gotta be somebody out there that, that heard it. And even if it was for a split second, they maybe had that, that, that thought in their head of, Oh, you know, this is, this is a new realization for me, or this is a, a new eye opening moment of something that I hadn't thought about or had something that hadn't been presented to me. So um, while it hasn't been explicitly brought to us, um, I wouldn't put it past it um, happening. For sure. Yeah. And I mean, the album's out on war against records and I'm just kind of curious how that, that relationship started and formed. Yeah. uh, So we wrote our first two songs on the, the demo for rot. Nothing's just two songs on it and coming to, um, and we had finished, writing those pretty much they were pretty much complete and i think that we were just trying to flesh out how we wanted to put these songs out as a brand new band 
and there was another band that I had found fairly recently to that time uh, called Pressure Cracks. And um, it's actually the, the head of War Against Records plays bass in Pressure Cracks. And they were the first band to uh, be put out on the label. So that's how I found the label because I, I thought that band was awesome. And after listening to their their lyrics and the, the message that they were putting across um, seemed pretty fitting to um, the message we were trying to convey. And I think at that time, it, we we kind of felt like, well, if the label is putting this band out, they probably also share those same views and those same beliefs because um, people rarely put uh, money behind things kind of the way capitalism works. So um, we ended up talking to him for a while. I actually uh, messaged the, the label's email um, while I was at work one day. Um, and I, was, I really wasn't expecting a, an answer back. It was just kind of like, a, you know, if I get no response, I'm in the same place I was five seconds ago. If I get a no, I'm in the same place I was five seconds ago. And if I get a yes, I'm much better than I was five seconds ago, you know? So I, I just sent it out as like, a, you know, who knows? Who knows what will happen here? Um, and he actually, Ryan uh, actually responded back and said that he actually was really uh, into the tracks. He thought they were great songs and then had to release music under his label. So we ended up uh, just working that out. And um, he's been an awesome guy. He's always uh, been in our corner. He's really quick to uh, be understanding and he's also um, just an awesome business guy. So he's just really smart at helping us make good decisions. And, um, you know, while, while we may think something is uh, – a great idea he may think um there's a better a better path to that idea but yeah he's he's just been nothing but uh a great partner and uh someone we're just so happy to have on our team for sure yeah i, I think like that's super important and I, I love that you know you kind of connected it over that like the message behind the music instead of just like oh like this, this song sounds good or whatever <laughs> right or like you know the part like you know he he could have we could have easily just been like, yo, we'll, we'll guaranteed sell a thousand records or whatever, you know, like some, some bullshit. And you know, that's sometimes that's what a label is looking for is just, can you sell records? We don't care what you say. We don't care what you stand for. Like, can you, can you make us money? But uh, he hasn't, he hasn't been worried about that uh, since day one. So it's just, it's just really cool um, to see the positive growth between both of us um, just from believing uh, the bands and the messages for sure yeah and i mean what um i'm curious you mentioned like that it's been really helpful as far as like you know business decisions and stuff would have been some of the like you know road bumps or whatever in the way that they've kind of like that you've been able to navigate su- successfully yeah so um ryan actually uh called me one day uh at work we're trying to um uh cement in our um some of the like the publication like website publications for like the releases the the week of the release um and for spirit um the original idea was for the music video to have um a cell phone or not a cell phone but like a a, an old like rotary dial phone um a couple other and uh, he called me and he said hey i uh i think we should leave the sample out for the single version and it goes back to um, what you brought up is a kind of jarring and triggering. And he brought up the fact that, you know, you only have um, maybe 10 seconds at best to 
to get someone on your team, get someone on board with whatever you're trying to um, get them to listen to or see um, experience. So uh, he said, you know, we've got like 15, 20 seconds of really intense, really graphic sample. And that could, that could turn a lot of people away really quickly because, you know, they're, they have no idea that, you know, that holds a bigger meaning or that, you know, they're not, they're not interested past that point. So um, he brought that to our attention. And at first I was like, Oh, I, I, I want to say I don't understand this because, you know, of, of course I want the sample in there, but uh, it, it made so much sense that it was impossible to be like, you know what, we're leaving it. So we, we, we took it out for the sample or the single version. Um, and I think it was, I think it was the right call. I think it was a smart move. And I think that um, it did help the uh, reaction later to people hearing the sample on the album. Yeah. They were a little more kind of like open to it in a way. Right. They, they, they already expected and knew what the song was and was about. So I think just having that little extra piece especially as a surprise to something that they're already familiar with. Um, I think it helped a lot. For sure. Yeah. And I mean, I always like to kind of wrap up by asking for um, either just like a piece of advice or something you've been thinking about lately um, that, you know, you kind of either want to get off your chest or you think might help uh, whoever's listening. Yeah. um, So a big thing that I've been working on recently is I get, I get overwhelmed by all the tasks I have uh, in front of me. I have, three bands and two dogs and a girlfriend and I work a 40 hour a week work job. And, you know, it's a, it it can get pretty crazy, but um, I've been recently trying to um, focus on one task. I know it sounds really stupid, but um, oftentimes my brain, I don't know if anybody else is like this, but my brain can get really wrapped up in the thought of all of the, uh, the tasks that I have to achieve or, or get done or that I'm obligated to do before a certain set date or set time. Um, so I've been working really hard on just focusing on one task at a time. Um, and as soon as that task is done, I'll move on to the next one. And I, I, again, I know that sounds really stupid and really obvious, but um, if you can slow your brain down for just a second, it can, it can really help you. And I think that also applies to, you know, just decision making just focus on that that one decision that you have right now and then move on to i think that'll help with it's it's slowly been helping with a lot of my anxieties so um i don't know if anybody else uh suffers from that or it applies to them so if it does give it a shot yeah i mean that pretty much uh describes very well what i've been dealing with today so it was definitely helpful for me (laughs) and yeah i mean was there anything else about the album that you've kind of been itching to get out that we haven't hit on um we're, we're working on a bunch of stuff. We've got, uh, we're working on another music video. We're working on some new merch that should be coming out before the end of the year. Ideally, um, we're, we're met, uh, Alex and I have been messing around with making uh, guitar hero charts for the songs. Just, we're just kind of taking it piece by piece, doing the whole one task at a time thing. Um, uh, I believe Errol is working on some track commentary um, so people will be able to hear kind of exactly what was going on in his head while he was writing and just kind of what the overall idea was. And yeah, just kind of watching the, the social and the political climate, see, you know, if, when things will be safe to, to play a show again. And I, we also are working on a, a live stream set. So there's a, there's a bunch of stuff in the works. We're trying to keep our feet moving. I don't know about you, but I think that album commentary sounds uniquely perfect for a band like Rock. 
If you haven't already heard As One, give it a listen and I think you'll definitely agree. The vinyl pressing of the album just came in yesterday and is shipping out now, so if you like what you hear, be sure to pick up a copy. And check out both The Oakbrook Project and We Love Lake Street, two organizations that are certainly worth your support. Find the Call is brought to you by Sound Talent Media. A special thank you as always to The Alternative Rubbing to promote the show, Kaylin West of Tiny Stills for the theme song, and Michaela Jane Palermo for the artwork. You can keep up to date by subscribing to the podcast and following the show on Twitter and Instagram at FindTheCallPod. Feel free to email any questions, comments, or other feedback to me at FindTheCallPod at gmail.com. Have a great week, and don't forget to vote. Hey, this is Steve Choi, host of the Musicians Guild podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Within the four walls of the Musicians Guild, we'll be discussing the habits, idiosyncrasies, experiences, and general psychology of my friends and peers, all involved with music in various capacities. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com.